Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Well, good morning, church. Good to see all your smiling faces. Happy Fourth of July. Everybody have a good Fourth of July weekend? Very good. Uh, Well, my name is Doug. I'm the youth pastor here at Seacoast, and it is my pleasure um, to tell you about Jesus this morning and introduce our new series. As you saw from the video, it's called What's in a Name? Uh, It gets its title from the Shakespearean classic Romeo and Juliet. Juliet, being distraught over the identity of her star-crossed lover, she says this, O be some other name. What's in a name that which we call a name by a rose by any other name would smell as sweet? See, for a Capulet, a Montague, had meant enemy. It meant danger. It meant betrayal if you treated a Montague as anything other than a dangerous enemy. I think there's this underlying theme that names have meaning attached to them. And that meaning affects the way in which we interact with who it's attached to. I think we know all too well that a name is a powerful tool. It can be used positively. It can be used negatively. You can devalue an entire person just by calling them a name that isn't their own. See, wrapped up in a name is more than just letters put together. Wrapped up in a name is identity. Wrapped up in a name is kind of the weight of that person. And so in this series, we're going to explore the various names of God that we find all throughout the Bible. And we're going to learn these names because like a diamond has many little facets, as we spin the diamond of God's names, we get to see these different facets of our beautiful and amazing God. And so some of them may surprise you, but my prayer for all of us is that God would reveal himself to us in new and fresh ways through learning his names. And so who knows, perhaps the God you've been searching for has been here this whole time. See, Juliet, she was upset because the name attached to Romeo did not fit the content of his character. But I think by the end of this series, I believe that God will have revealed to us that his names are not only true of his character, but they are worth, as the scriptures say, to run to like a strong tower in times of need. I believe that the names of God will be this morning for us a place to run to in time of need. So we're going to pray and then we're going to jump in. Heavenly Father, we just lift your word up to you. We just ask for you to teach us, mold us, help us transform by the power of who you are. Let us set our hearts, let us set our minds on your goodness, your attributes, that the name of God can be something that we run to. In your name we pray, amen. So we're going to find ourselves starting off in Genesis 1. Verses 1 and 2. 
Now, that's not too tough to find. It's on the first page of your Bible, okay? Genesis 1, verses 1 through 2. Let's go ahead and read it together. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the spirit of Elohim was hovering over the surface of the waters. And so this is the first name that we see to identify the character and the nature of God. Here, the name being designated for God is Elohim. Can everybody say that with me? Elohim? Very good. You guys are great. Love it. So here, Elohim is, maybe you caught it from the video, is translated as strong creator. Strong creator. Before we ever hear of God being called father or gracious or anything else for that matter, he is called our strong creator. And so you should have received a fill-in handout this morning. And your first one, you're going to want to write this down, is Elohim is creator. Elohim is creator. See, when I'm not pastoring the students here at Seacoast, I'm in the kitchen business. And in the kitchen design business, a client usually comes to us because they've watched way too much HGTV. And now they look at their kitchen like it's this third world shanty, okay? So, I mean, every time they make breakfast, it's like a mission trip. And so they come to us saying, please help us. We need to do something. And so what we do is we take this blank canvas and we set about the work of designing them a new space. Something new down to the fraction of an inch. Everything in its proper place, everything in its working order, so that we can have something new and more specific to the desperate needs of our client. Now, when we sit down to present, there's always going to be questions. Why'd you put this here? Why'd you do it that way? Why does it look this way? And we will always have an answer for them. This is true because as the creator of this kitchen, everything down to the smallest of detail was done with intention and purpose. Everything was done with intention and purpose. But there's a little bit of a difference because when we create something, Elohim does it a little different. When Elohim creates something, it says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. When he did it, he did it ex nihilo. It's the Hebrew word for out of nothing. He didn't didn't take anything for him to do it. Uh, This is one of the many reasons why uh, he isn't just creator, he's strong creator. When God created the heavens and the earth, he didn't need to go on a Home Depot run, he didn't need to get a construction loan, he just spoke and then it was. That makes him strong and that makes him worthy of his name. See, when God creates, he does it with intention and he does it with purpose. He does not make mistakes, and he designs down to the smallest of details. This very much includes you and I. You were made with intention. You were made with purpose. You were created down to the smallest of detail. And as I was working on this sermon and trying to prepare and Um, we had gone over it in the pit crew. There was something that God was really trying to touch on. He said, I want you to really pray about somebody specifically who needs to hear this next part. And I truly believe that God has brought somebody here this morning that needed to hear this. You are not a mistake. You are not a mistake. 
that God creates everything with intention and purpose, and he did that when he made you. I think we, when we lie awake at night and we feel like a failure as a human being and we wonder, what was God thinking when he made me? We can call on the name of Elohim and remember that the strong creator does not make mistakes. Our strong creator does not make mistakes. When your self-worth begins to evaporate, it will meet its end when you call on the name of Elohim. When your self-worth is disappearing, when you feel like you are a nothing, you call on the name of Elohim because he created you and you are not nothing. Let's keep going. Genesis 1 verse 2. Now in my translation, it says, the earth was formless and void and darkness covered the deep waters and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Those two words, formless and void, they represent absence of order, total chaos. Absolutely everything that could happen, happening all at once. And Elohim, being the strong creator, he looks out upon the chaos and he begins to set about the work of creating order. And then for the rest of the chapter one, he's flipping on the lights, he's making oceans and land and cute little duckies. And then he caps off his creation by making man in his own image. For Elohim to make us in his own image, it isn't so much about physical appearance as it is the purpose for which we were made. He gives humanity the role of ruling over all the creatures of the earth and naming things and making babies and enjoying it all. We bear the image of God by creating, governing, and enjoying. God created beautiful working order out of formless and void chaos because it's in his character to do so. He is the strong creator, and when the strong creator steps on the scene and it's chaotic, he immediately creates order. That's what our strong creator does. A few years ago, my father-in-law and I decided that we were going to build an enclosure around the outdoor gym that was in the backyard. Now, between the two of us, I had the most experience with swinging a hammer, which was a little scary because that was as far as my carpentry skills went, just swinging a hammer. But we were going to give it a shot and try to figure it out. And so we did this thing, and it came out formless and void, would be the best way to put it. Yeah, it, it really wasn't a safe place for anybody to be. You shouldn't stand next to it, let alone work out with heavy weights underneath it. And so it took a family member of ours, who actually was a carpenter, to come in and make sense of the chaos that we had created. He came in, he straightened out the walls, he kind of leveled out the joints, he put a roof on it you know, because that was kind of the point. And so essentially what he did was he set about the work to restore that space to what it was supposed to be, restore it to its original intent. If you're tracking along, your second fill-in is Elohim is restorer. Elohim is restorer. See, when Elohim steps into our chaos, he sets about the work of restoring order leveling out the walls that are bent out of shape because of failed relationships, pulling the stray nails out of painful experiences and loss, straightening the joists that have twisted under the weight of self-condemnation, 
I think for a lot of us, it's kind of easy to look at God as the creator. That part's not a hard leap, I think, once you get involved in this Christianity thing, but it's easy to see him as the big construction guy in the sky, the strong creator making stuff out of nothing. And that certainly makes him strong, but you know what else makes him strong? Is that he is intimately aware of the condition of his creation. He's strong because he is intimately aware of the condition of his creation. He is strong to be sure, but that doesn't mean that he isn't personal. Just because he's strong, that doesn't mean he isn't personal. You may have experiences in your own life where someone was strong and capable, but that made them distant, cold, uncaring, someone not to be bothered. But you see, the same Elohim who spoke the world into existence, who created gravity, who told fish how to swim and birds how to fly, knows every single hair on your head. And when you go flying out of whack, he knows how to bring you back. That rhymed. When you go out of whack, Elohim knows how to bring you back. Come on, church. (laughs) That's what our strong creator does. And that's something that we need to remember. Let's keep going. We call on the name of God when our world is in chaos. Because our strong creator is in the business of restoration. Our strong creator is in the business of restoration. Let's look at Genesis 2 verses 1 through 3. It says, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work and creating that he had done. See, my early years during the workforce, my first consistent job was landscaping for a family friend. And up until this point, never really worked before. And so it was very exciting for me. And my first day on the job was to spend eight hours developing a very close relationship with a shovel and many, many wheelbarrows full of the heaviest stone that I think has ever existed. Okay? I truly believe that, that the gravity was just special there. I don't know what's going on. But for eight hours, that was my job. Shovel, wheelbarrow, drag it along. We were creating a stone driveway, and my job was to move all that stone from the truck to the guys with the rakes, who would then spread it out. Let me tell you, by the end of the day, I was exhausted. I'm talking completely and totally out of gas. Has anybody here ever had a job where it was like, at the end of the day, you would say, okay, Jesus, you can take me? Like, I'm dead. That's it? Anybody? Show me? Come on. Yeah. So that was my first job. I got to the point when, that, when I came home to rest from my work, Man, I, I would close my eyes and I would have brief hallucinations that I still had the shovel in my hand and I would snap awake thinking there was a problem. It was a true story. See, when I rested at the end of my work, it wasn't because it was very good. It wasn't because it was finished. It wasn't because it was what it was intended to be. I rested because I had no choice. I was out of gas and I couldn't do any more work. That was it. But you see, after God was done creating, 
after he made, you know, physics, galaxies, water, the sky, plants, animals, humanity, after he gave everything a purpose, a reason to exist, seeing that it was very good, he rested. When Elohim rested, it wasn't because he was tired. It wasn't because he got bored. It wasn't because he needed to take a break. Elohim rested because when the strong creator finishes something, it's finished. When God creates something, when he sets out to do something, he finishes, it's finished. He completed the task of creation perfectly, without error, and there was nothing left to do but rest. A Chinese pastor in the 1920s by the name of Watchman Nee, he draws this conclusion about where we stand in terms of creation. It says, God worked six days and then enjoyed his rest. Adam began his life with the day God rested. For God works before he rests, while man must first enter into God's rest before he can work. Your third fill-in is Elohim is rest. Elohim is rest. There are few moments in life where we feel that it's okay to rest. As a parent, as a student, as an employee, as a retiree, there is something in us that just doesn't feel like it's okay to rest. We're kind of a product of our own broken stuff. We feel guilty for not doing more, for not trying harder, for not uh, being better. It's because we live in a culture that sort of measures the value of a person by how much they can produce. But unfortunately, this is a recipe for disaster. It burns us up. It takes us out. It, it makes us more weary than we can bear. And then all of a sudden, we're half persons walking around alive, but kind of dead at the same time. And what I wonder sometimes is if the reason that we feel so compelled to be busy all the time is because our souls are a lot like a mix of oil and water. As long as we're moving, as long as we're busy, as long as things are shaken up, then we can never really see how much of one is in us over the other. It's all just kind of stays together in this swirling, formless, void chaos. We stay busy and we kind of burn ourselves at both ends. Because I think what that water, oil and water really represents is a life that's mixed with God's designed purpose for us and then everything else. I think our lives are filled with God's designed purpose, who he made us to be, and then a whole bunch of other stuff. And as long as we stay busy, we never really have to see how much of one is in us over the other. And that's kind of a scary, scary thought, to slow down, to actually begin to see it settle and begin to realize how much of ourselves are actually in need of being restored to its original purpose. See, when we were created, our purpose, over and above everything else, 
where it all starts is first to be loved by our creator. That's our first purpose. We enter into this world with the primary objective of being loved by the one who made us. And then every other purpose, every other objective flows from a response to that. Our strong creator doesn't just give rest. He doesn't just hand out rest. He is rest. Because everything that we need starts and ends with him. In Psalm 139, David lays out this poem and he lays it out and he says how intimately God knows us before we were even born, before flesh was even wrapped around our bodies. He just goes on and for 22 verses, it's just this cascade of unbelievable truth just coming down about how in which God made us and how well he knows us and how he's near to us and how we can never run away from him even if we wanted to. That the intimate details of how God knows us. And at this point, David is stressed out. David's life is a mess. And as, recount, as he's recounting how God knows us and how he made us, the last two verses say this. He says, search me, God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. See, the only possible answer when life is swirling around in chaos is to look at the one who created us and just say, fix me. I don't know what else to do. Fix me. That's what Elohim means, that he's a strong creator. He's the one that made you. He knows how you work. And the only real thing we can do when when life is all messed up is just to say, look, creator, I need you. I need you to kind of fix these things that have bent out of shape. I need you to help me understand, search my anxious thoughts. Help me deal with this chaos. Help me make sense and make order. Only then will we find rest. Only then will we find relief from the anxiety. Only then will we find relief from the chaos. And we look to our creator. And so... As we've explored a little bit of Genesis this morning, we've seen that Elohim is creator. We've seen that Elohim is restorer. We've seen that Elohim is, in fact, rest. But the story continues. See, humanity, after we were made, we started to kind of turn away from our intended purpose. And we still do that now. And we begin to kind of worship ourselves over and above our creator. And so Elohim, who, as I said before, is in the business of restoring, who brings all things back into beautiful and working order, he sends his son Jesus into creation. Not to condemn it, but to restore it. To give his life for us, to clean us from all the chaos, all the mess, all the stuff that we created for ourselves, trying to be creator instead of worshiping the creator. He sends Jesus to take a broken, out of whack, very tired humanity back to its strong creator, back to Elohim, back to our God. 
See, we respond to Jesus, and it's, it's like this new Genesis, because he is life. He restores, and then he brings the rest that we so desperately need. And so I'm going to create a moment here for us to respond to God's message this morning. Okay? If you are here and you are a, a believer in Jesus and you trust God, but you know what? You just realized you've let a little too much time go by. You've kind of drifted off into a place where you haven't let your creator really right the ship in your life. If you found yourself in chaos this morning and you just want God to be able to be the strong creator that he is, I would ask you to stand now and we will pray with you. If you want to commit to saying, you know what, God, I need to find that rest. And then secondly, if you're here this morning and you hear that, you know what, I need a strong creator. I need somebody. I need somebody to come and make sense of this because, you know what, I don't even know how to get there. Well, it starts with Jesus. It starts with admitting that, you know what, I can't do this on my own, and so I need Christ to be in my life, to be the one that I worship, the one that I love, to take over so I can have connection back to my creator. So if you are either of those two, I would invite you to stand this morning, and then we'll pray. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.